Well, if you wouldn't mind taking your Bibles this evening and turn with me to the book of Job, chapter 38. Job, chapter 38. Beginning with the first verse. Here the Lord answers Job out of the whirlwind. Remember the story, Job has lost everything. His friends come to try to help him. But all they do is tell Job that the reason why all this has happened is because of Job's sin, because God does not let bad things happen to good people. And so Job asks God for an audience. He wants God to vindicate him, to explain things to him. And in chapter 38, the Lord appears. The Bible says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof and thick darkness a swaddling band for it and break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further. And here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place? That it might take hold of the ends of the earth and that the wicked might be shaken out of it? It is turned as clay to the seal and they stand as a garment. And from the wicked their light is withholden and the high arm shall be broken. Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea or hast thou walked in the search of the depth? Have the gates of death been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth? Declare, if thou knowest it all. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? That thou shouldest take it to the bound thereof, that thou shouldst know the paths to the house thereof. Knowest thou it? Because thou wast then born or because the number of thy days is great? Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow? Or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and of war? By what way is a light parted, which scattereth the east wind upon the earth? Who hath divided a watercourse for the overflowing of waters, or a way for the lightning of thunder? to cause it to rain on the earth where no man is, on the wilderness when there is no man, to satisfy the desolate and waste ground, and to cause the bud of the tender herb to spring forth. And we'll end our reading there this evening. Just a brief reading of God's voice speaking out of the whirlwind to Job. And what the Lord is basically doing 
is he is showing Job that Job knows nothing. And the only way that Job knows nothing is when he understands that God knows everything. It is only on the light and the, of the comparison of ourselves to the person of God that we will ever have a right view of ourselves. And this is God's answer to Job. Let's have a brief word of prayer. Our Father, we stand in awe of Thee. Thou art God. There's no one like You. We pray, Lord, that we might know something of Thyself tonight, that we might see ourselves rightly. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. We've been speaking the past couple of weeks about the attributes of God. And we have noted that God is infinite. And that God's infinite nature means that He has no limits. We noted that His limitless nature with regards to time means He's eternal. He has no limits with regards to time. With regards to space, He is what we called last week omnipresent. Omni, the word meaning every or all. He's the everywhere present God. Tonight I want us to consider the omniscience of God. This means that God's infinite nature with relation to knowledge teaches us that God knows everything. God knows everything. And this is really what the Lord is getting at with Job. And if you would continue to read in Job chapter 38 and 39 into verses, into, excuse me, chapters 40 and 41, you will read that the Lord continues to explain to Job all that he knows about the ways of the earth, how he understands how the eagle can fly, etc., etc., and Job knows nothing in comparison. And this is just one scriptural demonstration that God knows everything. The truth is that the Bible gives such a strong witness to the omniscience of God that it's really never been challenged formally in church history. I mean, it's been basically universally accepted. And that's amazing because just about everything's been challenged. Just about everything under the sun. But this truth has really not been because it is so overwhelmingly witnessed in Scripture. That is, it has not been challenged until today, of course. And today there is a challenge to this doctrine, and it is called open theism. Open theism. This is important for us to understand because it's not something that's only in the seminaries, but it has come to Christian bookstores, and sometimes even to the person in the pew. It began with a book released in 1994 by a man named Clark Pinnock, but now it has been articulated by a new man named Greg Boyd. And he's articulating this view called open theism. And basically what this view says is this, among other things, God does not know the future free will choices of his creatures. In essence, God does not know everything. God doesn't know what decision people will make. He cannot know certainly the future. 
And this is being taught, and sometimes um, it has been taught in the name of evangelicalism. People have written against it, thankfully, and dealt with it. But when the truth of God's omniscience is denied, they then follow up with the necessary conclusion, which is this. God then reacts to things. God takes risks. God learns. And they even go so far as to say, God makes mistakes. Pinnock wrote this, God can predict a great deal of what we will choose to do, but not all of it. Because some of it remains hidden in the mystery of human freedom. The God of the Bible displays an openness to the future, meaning he's ignorant of it, that the traditional view of omniscience simply can't accommodate. So there you have it, straight from the horse's mouth. The traditional view of omniscience just simply can't accommodate what they believe the Bible truly teaches. And a classic example of how this works is a scenario that they use. Let's say, they say, for example, a woman feels God's leading to marry a certain man. She believes that God has made it clear to her she marries this man. This man turns out later on in life to be a man who is an ungodly person and actually is unfaithful to her. She is shattered by this and is completely confused with, with the fact that she felt God leading her that way. And she doesn't know what to do. And so then the open theist comes to her and, they, and he says something like this, oh, don't worry about it. Let me explain to you what happened. You see, God looked at that man and he was a decent man. And he was leading you in the right way. But God didn't know exactly what direction that man would take. And so don't worry, it's not God's fault. It's his fault. And they laugh at somebody who would say, God is sovereign over everything and God knew exactly what he would do. In fact, he decreed he would do it and he led you into it for his own purposes, for his glory and for your good. And they say that will create someone who's bitter with God. But this, this fixes everything. God just trying to do the right thing. He just didn't know what this man would do. Well, this levels the exalted view of the God of the Bible and gives us a God that is not worthy of our worship and cannot be trusted. How can you trust the God who does not know the future? It's extremely important that we understand the true biblical doctrine of the omniscience of God. So, in the first place, I want us to see the proof of the omniscience of God. The proof of the omniscience of God is twofold. First, there is the witness of Scripture, and two, there is the witness of fulfilled prophecy. The witness of Scripture. The Bible expressly declares that God has all knowledge of all things past, present, and future, and even all things that are possible. God has all knowledge. And Psalm 94, verses 9 through 11, the Bible says, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? Well, of course. If God made the ear, He has the ability to hear. The one who created is far above the thing that it has created. He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastises the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teaches man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. And the psalmist is basically saying, 
It is ludicrous. It's ridiculous to propose that the God who created the mind of man and gives man knowledge and knows the thoughts of all men does not have all knowledge. That is a ridiculous proposition. The Bible says here that God teacheth man knowledge. You know what that means? It means that nobody taught God knowledge. God teaches man. God did not study in order to learn. God does not grow in his knowledge. God knows everything from eternity. And he knows everything because he is God. His knowledge is not a knowledge based on what he's seen, what he's perceived. His knowledge is simply the knowledge of God the infinite, eternal, all-knowing God. He knows everything by virtue of being God. There's nothing that God has ever been surprised by. There's nothing that God will ever comprehend better. There's nothing that God will ever come to the realization of. He knows everything. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And that means that God's knowledge is totally comprehensive. There is absolutely nothing that his piercing gaze does not sweep up. He knows everything. God knows every minor detail of the universe. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 30 says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Can you imagine? God knows the makeup of every strand of hair on every head in this room. He knows the number of every hair on every head in this room. He knows how long every hair, how wide every hair on every head is. But not only every hair on every head in this room, but in the 10 billion inhabitants of this earth, he is intimately acquainted with every detail of their hair. That's how much he knows. He is intimately acquainted and he knows the structure and the form and the shape of every single blade of grass that is on every lawn in every town, in every city, in every place in the world. He knows the unique formation of every sand crystal that lies on the, sand, on the sandy beaches of Florida and throughout the entire ocean floor. He knows every single square inch of the ocean. He is able in a moment to tell you what every fish, what every zooplankton is doing at any given moment. He knows absolutely everything. Not one minute de detail escapes his knowledge. Not only does he know all of that, but he knows everything in all of the universe. He knows what the gas formations on every planet look like on every square inch of every planet throughout the universe at this moment. And as we consider God's omnipresence last week, God is present there in the far reaches of the universe. God is there. And because he's there, he knows exactly what's happening. He knows everything. His knowledge is absolutely comprehensive. And there's really nothing that we can compare it to. He knows everything. He knows our hearts. 
First Kings chapter 8, verse 39 says, Then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive, and do, and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For thou, even thou, only knowest the hearts of all the children of men. He knows every heart. You don't even know your heart. The heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? You don't know your own heart. You might, you might think that you're, you're, you might think that you're dealing with some difficulty when your heart is com- you're completely misunderstanding your own heart. You may think you're, you're down about a certain thing when it's actually some completely different thing. You may think your real problem is one thing when it's this completely different thing because you don't even know your heart. You may be deceived and think that you're being led sincerely when really pride has a finger in it. You don't know your heart. But God knows every single heart. The Bible says that God knows every thought. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Psalm 139 and verse 2. That means that God at this moment, He knows exactly what is passing through the mind of every single human being. He knows every single thought that you have ever had or will ever have. He knows the deepest, darkest, most vile thoughts you've ever had, as well as the most wonderful, blessed thoughts you've ever had. He knows the things that you would never say to anybody, you would never let them escape your mouth, but they're in your mind. He knows your doubts, he knows your difficulties, he knows your questions. You can't hide them from God. He knows everything. He knows you in and out. He knows you through and through. He knows you absolutely and comprehensively. He absolutely knows you and every human being on the face of the planet. God even knows everything that is possible. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 13, we find a very amazing verse. Jesus says, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. You catch that? He says, If these things had been done in Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented. Now, obviously, God did not decree that to happen. It did not happen. But God says, I know what would have happened if that happened. So think about it like this. Not only does God know every thought that you have, not only does God know everything in the world down to the minutest detail of a hair on your head, but he knows every possible world, every possible situation that could ever exist. Nothing is hid from his eyes. In the words of A.W. Tozer, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, all motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, 
and hell. God knows. What an awesome God we have. There's really no way that we can fully grasp him because he's infinite in his knowledge. And second, the witness of prophecy. The issue of whether or not God knows the future can certainly be decided if God can predict the future. Well, does God predict the future? He does. Isaiah chapter 46 and verse 10 clearly says this, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God says, I I know the future. I declare the end from the beginning. This is essential to remember. If God declares the end from the beginning, it means that God knows everything that will happen because he has declared it would happen. He doesn't declare what will happen because he knows it. He knows it because he's declared it. Now I can cite a number of examples of messianic prophecy being fulfilled that the Lord Jesus has fulfilled, but I want to point you to a prophecy from the book of Ezekiel and show you how God has perfectly fulfilled, excuse me, predicted prophecy. In Ezekiel chapter 26, verses 12 through 14, we read this. Ezekiel prophesies, And they shall make, speaking I should say, of the Phoenician city of Tyre, And they shall make a spoil of thy riches, and make a prey of thy merchandise. And they shall break down thy walls, and destroy thy pleasant houses. And they shall lay thy stones, and thy timber, and thy dust in the midst of the water. And I will cause the noise of thy songs to cease, and the sound of thy harps shall be no more heard. And I will make thee like the top of a rock. Thou shalt be a place to spread nets upon. Thou shalt be built no more, for I the Lord have spoken it, saith the Lord. So this is a prophecy by Ezekiel that someone is going to come to the Phoenician city of Tyre, is going to, as it says here, Lay thy stones and thy timber and thy dust in the midst of the water. Okay? Is going to take the ruins of this city and is going to cast them into the water. And that, he says in verse 14, I will make thee like the top of a rock. Meaning that the rocks, the ruins will be scraped off. And he even says that no more shall your city be built ever again. Well, if you lived in these days, it might be comparable to saying something like this. The, the New York City, within 15 years, is going to be absolutely obliterated. Everything's going to be cast into the ocean and you won't even be able to recognize the city was there anymore. Something like that. But God predicted this and it came true. This was a prophecy made in the late 6th century B.C. But it was fulfilled in the 4th century B.C., 200 years later. This is... This is recorded and we can't, you can't get around this. The prophet said everything from Tyre would be cast into the ocean. It is interesting to note that when Alexander the Great came and attacked the Phoenician city of Tyre in 333 to 332 BC, he actually took the rubble from Tyre's mainland city, the Phoenician city of Tyre, he cast it into the ocean and he built a bridge with the rubble of the city to reach the island of Tyre out in the ocean. And by the way, that bridge is still there today. And they say that they scraped the tops of the rubble 
to cast absolutely everything into the water. And I'll also have you know that ever since that city was destroyed, the entire, the entire empire fell to pieces and Tyre has never been rebuilt. Coincidence? That's a tough coincidence. God predicts the future. And he can predict the future because he knows the future. If God does not know the future free will actions of people, he can't predict the future. Because who knows if Alexander the Great would have done something different, but God knew what he would do, and that's why he could predict it. God knows the future. So we see the proof of the omniscience of God, the witness of Scripture, and the witness of fulfilled prophecy. And I also want us to consider the application of the omniscience of God. And I'm going to touch on something I touched on this morning. I didn't realize I would be talking about the same thing in the evening a little bit, but hopefully it will just help and reinforce this truth to us. The application of God's omniscience. What I mean by this is, is that although God, yes, God has all knowledge, but he's also wise. He also knows how to use his knowledge, to apply his knowledge. Wisdom can be defined as, the dictionary says, the right use of knowledge or the right exercise of knowledge. The clearest biblical description of wisdom is found in Proverbs 9 and verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Biblical wisdom is using knowledge rightly in accordance with God's will, walking in the fear of God. It's walking in the fear of God. As I said this morning, with relation to discernment, which is very similar, knowledge must be applied in a right way, and that's wisdom. Wisdom is, as someone said, the art of living well. That's biblical wisdom. And the Bible says that God is wise. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 17, the Bible says, Now unto thee, King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 104 verse 24 ascribes wisdom to God when He created everything. O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom hast thou made them all. He did everything wisely. He knows everything. He has all knowledge and he's able to use his knowledge rightly. You see, the first thing that God knows is himself. He fully knows himself. Because he fully knows himself, he fully knows what is good he fully knows what is righteous. He fully knows what is holy. And when he acts in creation, or he acts even in the cross, as 1 Corinthians 1 verse 24 calls the cross the wisdom of God, he does it in accordance with what he knows about himself. He does all things well. There's no greater display of the wisdom of God than, but the, than the cross. It's just incredible to meditate on the wisdom of God in the cross. I mean, God in the cross was able, was able to use the free actions of sinful men, which he hates, permitting that which he hates to accomplish what he loves, the full pardon and acceptance of his children. He's able to say that he determined the sinful acts of those creatures and then turn around and judge them for their sin and then use their sin 
to do away with sin and use the death of Christ to do away with death. There's so much more that could be said. The, the wisdom of the cross is unfathomable. There, mercy and justice and love and holiness and grace and judgment meet in a beautiful display of all the colors of who and what God is on the cross. We stand in awe of the cross, of the wisdom of God. How could he orchestrate something like this? How could he be fully just in, in allowing men to sin by their own free will choice in the garden? And then the backdrop of human depravity and suffering and brokenness display his grace, display his glory, and yet be fully just and show his perfect holiness, his perfect love, his perfect grace, his perfect judgment, even his power, everything. In that one moment on the cross of Calvary, it baffles our minds. God is wise. He is perfectly and absolutely wise. And I just want to note this. God cannot be perfectly wise if God is not all-knowing. If God doesn't know everything, you can't say he's all-wise. And so once again, we have to say that God knows everything. He is absolutely omniscient. The third and last thing I want you to consider this evening is the comfort of the omniscience of God. The comfort of the omniscience of God. Now, there is certainly a fear that can come to anybody who's not right with God. I mentioned even this last Lord's Day. It's a fearful thing to think that God knows my every thought if I'm not right with God. And someone might be able to put that thought away and say, well, maybe God doesn't really exist. Maybe this is all just not true. But those doubts and pushing away can't do away with the fact that you have fulfilled prophecy. You have hundreds of fulfilled prophecies in Christ and the one I just spoke of. You have a Bible that is written over a period of thousands of years. It fully has continuity from beginning to end. It is a supernatural book. You know the gospel is supernatural. You know Christ rose from the dead. You can't do away with the truth. And the Bible teaches very clearly that one day all men will stand before him and they will be judged for every one of their deeds. And that includes your thoughts. Not only what you've done. You see, aren't we all, don't we all, I should say, get weary with hypocrisy in ourselves and in others? Just forget it. Don't wear a mask. If you're not right with God, come to Him. Be real. Be real with God. Be honest with God. I'm not right. He's a merciful God. I'm not right. I'm wrong. But don't wear a mask. Because God knows. It's just useless. But I want to point out the comforts of the omniscience to God, to the children of God. In the first place, the first comfort, and there are many comforts, when you are hurting, God knows. He knows your sorrows, your tears, your pain, and your cares. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says that the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Remember, they were under years and years and years of Egyptian bondage. They were sweating under the hot sun, the hot Egyptian sun, like just totally, treated totally um, immorally by the Egyptians, forced into slave labor. 
And the Lord says this, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry, for I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. God knows your sorrows. You see, does anybody really know? Yet yeah, God knows. You might think, I, I have tried to explain how I feel right now to the person that is closest to me, and they just don't get it. It feels like nobody gets it. But God knows. He knows. He really knows. I mean, He knows exactly how you feel. And He cares deeply. He knows. But this little phrase, I know their sorrows, you could read that in the light of Calvary. I mean, Jesus, Jesus Christ, God in union with a human person, he became a man and he wept. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was forsaken. He was betrayed. He was lied to and deceived. He was spat upon. At Lazarus' tomb, he felt what it was to lose somebody he loved. He was stripped naked, shamed, and crucified. When he says, I know their sorrows, feel the depth of that. Like, I know their sorrows. See, nobody, nobody knows. Oh, Jesus knows. He, and, and he cares. The second thing is, when you feel you aren't accepted because of your sin, God knows the full depth of your sin. And he still accepts you. And he still loves you. Do you understand that when you look into your heart, and you're blown away by the temptation you just had. Blown away by the thought you just had. How could I have that thought? How could I have that temptation? How could I see this in my heart? You realize that if the lid of your heart was open, so to speak, and you could see all that was there, you would probably die from despair. You have no idea how sinful you are. You have the, we, don't, we don't have the first inkling of how wicked we are but God does you're shocked by a temptation and it should shock us right sin should shock us even temptation we don't want it but I want you to know God knows he knows far more than you know about yourself he sees it all he knows the most despicable filthy thing that has ever crossed your mind and heart that you would never speak to anybody, ever. He knows it. And guess what? He accepts you. Romans 8 verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? Who? Who condemns? Or, you know, get up and, and say something, you know. Bring some charge against your child. Who is he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Nobody can condemn because of Jesus. And so you can come to God in prayer and you can know that you're accepted before God even though you see the sinful depravity of your own heart. The Lord loves you because he sees you in Christ. Three, when you are weak, 
and you have failed, God knows that you are but dust, and he's merciful. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verses 13 through 14, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Why? For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. You're just having a bad day, having a difficult day, feeling like you've failed. You feel so tired, just so worn out going through some difficulty, some tragedy, so absolutely worn out. You just don't feel like rejoicing about anything. And then you begin to feel terrible, as if, as if God is looking down at you and is saying, I'm so disappointed with you. You are a disgust to me, an embarrassment to me. No, I want you to know, the Lord remembereth that we are dust. He knows you're weak. He knows you're frail. He knows you're human. He knows that. And he pities you. He is a God of mercy. Four, when you feel alone, God knows exactly where you are. He's watching over you. You say, I'm, I'm lonely, like Hagar maybe. Hagar was lonely when she was sent away by Sarai, Abraham's wife, and she ran away with her child into the wilderness, and God met her there, and she said, Thou God seest me. There's nowhere you'll ever go that God does not see you. That means that the person who is being persecuted in the Middle East for their faith, who's being tortured in a dark cell way back in a hidden room, and they feel like nobody in the world knows what's going on, but God knows. God knows. And like I said last week, the omnipresence of God and the knowledge of God go hand in hand. He's there. He knows. He knows. Number five, when it seems like no one notices, you're tempted to seek the favor of people. Remember that God knows. You see, we sometimes are very tempted to act in a way that we might not because we want people to be pleased, want people to think well of us. We often face that temptation to seek the approval of men. But if we are aware and we're conscious, God knows. The only thing that's going to matter to us is if we please God. People might make fun of us. They might mock us. They might turn their backs. Who cares? God knows. And I'm not trying to live in a way that pleases men because I'm aware that what I'm saying and doing is open to the eyes of God. And I love Him. And I want to please Him. And when you're in my heart is convinced and, and, and our hearts grasp the omniscience of God that God knows, we'll cease to be men pleasers like we are. Six, when you are afraid of what the future holds, God knows the future because he holds the future. Remember Isaiah 46.10 said, Declaring the end from the beginning, the ancient times from the things that are not yet done, the things that are not yet done, my counsel shall stand and will do all my pleasure. You say, I don't know what's coming and I'm afraid. God knows. You might not know, but God knows. I think of when I take my little daughter Joanna's hand. I went out the other day when it was raining and I'm, and I'm walking her around and she got very, very scared because there was some water coming off the roof and she doesn't maybe know what's going to happen. But I know it's just a little bit of water. You'll be fine. 
And she's afraid and she's screaming. And God says, listen, I know. I know. I know what's going to happen. I've not led you wrong. It, it might hurt, but I've not led you wrong. I've never misled you, my child. I'm your shepherd. Trust me. I know the future. I'm holding your hand. All you can do is the next right thing. And trust God. And finally, the last comfort is this. When you cannot understand how what has just happened is a part of God's plan, God knows exactly what he is doing and how it works for his glory and your good. This last one is something that we all face continually. Some of us have had big tragedies, big trials. You all know that my daughter Lydia is, was born with, with brain damage. That was a trial. Some of you have had other things, maybe small, maybe big. And we are all tempted to ask the question, does God know what he's doing? Is God in this? You see, we look at the situation and we say, okay, the Bible says, okay, I have the Bible, the Bible says that God is good, right? That God is good. He does all things well. That's what my Bible says. My Bible says he's working all things together for my good. He's working all things together for his glory. That's what the Bible says. But then I look at what just happened. I go, God, how can this be a part of how can this be a part of your plan? I just don't I don't see it. Everything's falling apart. How can this be for your good? Or for our good, how can this be for your glory? Everything's imploding in my family. Everything's imploding in my life. Because this has just happened. And I'm looking at this. God, I know what your word says, but this just doesn't fit. I can't. And we need to hear what God said to Job. I read it earlier, and I'll just read this one more time. God says in Job chapter 38, once again, when I made the cloud and garment thereof and thick darkness a swaddling band and break it up from my decreed place and set bars and doors and said hitherto shalt thou come but no further and here shall thy proud ways be stayed hast thou commanded the morning or verse 16 hast thou entered in the springs of the sea as thou walked in the search of the depth have the gates of death been opened unto thee hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death hast thou perceived the breadth of the earth declare if thou knowest it all God says tell me what you know tell me what you know you don't know anything You've been alive for me 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years. I've been around forever. All that you know about is what your little sphere of existence has come into contact with. But I know everything. Everything. You know nothing. You don't, you don't, even, you don't even really understand the breadth of the earth, he's saying. You, you can't even tell me right now. You, you can't even tell me what it would be like to cross from one end of the earth to the other. You don't even understand how an eagle soars in the sky. You have absolutely no idea about what I am doing. The complexity of what I am doing is so beyond you, you cannot understand it. 
The complexity is so absolutely massive. There is no way that your mind can ever grasp all that I'm doing. And so this is the comfort. Don't lean on your own understanding. Your understanding is nothing. Trust God. God says to you this evening, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan my work in vain. I am my own interpreter and I will make it plain. Don't judge me by feeble sense, but trust me for my grace. Behind my frowning providence, I hide a smiling face. And the result of seeing the great omniscience of God is what Job did in chapter 42. Job, perhaps falling to his face, says, Oh God, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. In verse 6, he says this. Excuse me, verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job says, I repent. I repent. Because I've been doubting you this whole time. I've been questioning your goodness. I've been questioning your wisdom. I've been questioning you this whole time. And God, I just fall on my face right now. And I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. I bore myself in dust and ashes. These are things too wonderful for me. I heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I see you in your glory. And, and I just recognize I'm nothing. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced, Lord, you know what you're doing. And I'm going to trust you even though I have no idea how it all makes sense. Because I know I can never, ever be able to reconcile it all. God is a God to trust, not to comprehend. Contrary to what some say, God knows everything. And that is the comfort. Trust that God will bless us to your hearts and send them with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray and plead with thee, Lord, to bless your precious children tonight, any that are dealing with the struggle of difficult things, that they would know your mercy, they would know you know their dust, they would know that you know their hearts and yet love and accept them, we praise thee for it, that they would know your comfort. We praise you, omniscient God. You're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.